Buenos días, buenas tardes, buenas noches, señores y señores. I am Guillermo Paturi. It's a pleasure, as always, to be here for the fifth season, the, no, the fifth episode of the fourth season of El Cafecito, the podcast of the Department of Spanish and Portuguese at the University of Toronto. And it is a pleasure, as always, to be here with my co-hosts, Raquel Serrano and Jose Alfredo Jimenez. Raquel, how are you doing this cold winter morning? Hola, hello, Cubo. Um, yes, it's it's a beautiful day outside, so I'm hoping to go on, on a walk later today. But I'm so excited to be here because we have uh, so many new topics to talk about this, uh, this semester, and we really hope that you're going to like them. Absolutely. It's a very beautiful yet sunny and chilly, very chilly day here in Toronto. Jose Alfredo, how are you doing this morning, my friend? Hello, Gilly. Hello, Raquel. And hello, everyone else that's listening right now. I actually, I'm doing amazing myself. Thanks for asking. Um, I'm, I'm actually quite happy that I did not get to suffer through winter yet as I decided to stay in Ecuador, in Quito, where I'm from, for the rest of the, of the month of January. And yeah, actually right here, I'm enjoying some really nice weather. I'm also going to go outside and, and hopefully go for a nice walk and maybe work out. So... Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, and talk and talk to you guys again after a, um, a winter holiday. And I, I wish a happy, happy 2022 to our, all of our audience. And yeah, I'm excited uh, for the topics we're going to discuss today. Wonderful. Good to hear about your guys' plans for later today. But it's time to introduce our topic. So today we are going to talk about 2022 how it's going to be electorally wise, really, and what are the major things to look out for throughout the year. And we can just jump right into this because the first important thing that we should look out in 2022 actually begun happening in 2021 with the election of Gabriel Boric. Isn't that right, Raquel? Yes, uh, Gabriel Boric was elected uh, president of Chile uh, this past December. And it's after an impressive um Randolph with against Jose Antonio Cast, the conservative politician, and the outcomes of the second round of elections favor Boric candidacy with more than 56% of the votes against uh, Jose Antonio Cast. Uh, it's important to note that uh, Boric is the youngest president in Chilean history. Uh, I think he's just 35 years old, so that's impressive for um, for, for for the country, for the country's history. But it's also, I think, as a, as a Uh, member of the youth, I think it's just important to see younger voices representing us. Um, so it's going to be uh, interesting and I'm really looking forward to uh, the the new government and uh, yeah, yeah. what are your thoughts on the on the Chilean election? No, yeah, I think you're, you're 100% right with what you said and I think there's several important takeaways from the election and, and I think I'd, I'd like to start saying that uh, It was the first, this this was the, the election of the highest turnout in Chilean history. In, in Chile, like many other countries in Latin and North America, the voting is not mandatory, it's optional. And what usually happens is the voter, voter, voter turnout is quite low, but this year it has beat all expectations and, and voter turnout was really amazing. There was more voters in one, and then actually there were more voters in the second round of the election than there were in the whole electoral process in the previous election in uh, 2016, I believe. So that was already a victory for democracy, which I think is always incredibly positive and incredibly uh, noteworthy. 
and and the, and Boric's own history is 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 incredible, really. So he was a student protest leader in 2011, in during the first Pineda government, he led protests that led the first Pineda administration to the brink of collapse, uh, already showing the power that the youth has in Chile, and well. His victory signifies the return of the left after the second Pineda administration, but it's also a different left. Uh, Chile, differently from Colombia, had a leftist government under President Michel Bachelet in the early 2000s and in the mid 2010s, I suppose. Um, but she she was this traditional so well, this traditional social democracy center left sort of president and sort of administration. Whereas Boric represents a more left-left, so uh, a party and a movement more concerned with true leftist ideals and less uh, conciliatory politics than Bachelet was. I'm not trying to 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 in any way um, say that Bachelet was a bad president. I think Bachelet was incredibly important for Chile and incredibly important for Chilean women in particular. But Boric is is someone who is going more going further with his politics than. Bachelet ever did. And I I also think it's important to talk about Jose Antonio Cast for a bit, don't you think, Raquel? Because Cast was, you said he was a conservative leader, but I think you're being quite kind to him because he was, as he dubbed himself, the Chilean Bolsonaro who said a bunch of many barbarities throughout the election, a very unlikable figure, at least in my, in my perspective, uh, who got completely obliterated in the second round. He expected it to be a close vote. It was a complete... Uh, red wave you can even call it for Boric and and my last takeaway is we should I, I wouldn't like to talk about the abortion debate in in Chile because Cast said that if he was elected abortion was just never going to happen Pineda previously was also against abortion in the country but Boric is unequivocally for it which I think <clears throat> which I think is on itself a massive victory for the Greens and that whole movement in Latin America. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Boric was definitely able to get the presidency because he was open to other politics. As, as you said, uh, Michel Bachelet was, uh, I think Boric is taking a step uh, forward to many different things, such as the abortion uh, debate, such as LGBTQ plus rights such as um, many other rights that cast and, and former presidents haven't really uh, considered or haven't really included in the agenda. So I think that's why uh, Gabriel Boric has a lot of support from the youth, from different groups. Um, and that's something that we re- really need to uh, consider and look forward to in the, in the next uh, few months as uh, Boric um, starts his presidential term. And yeah, I think the, the Chilean election was definitely um, a good way to end the, the electoral year last year. Um, it's uh, the beginning of a new process in Chile and it's definitely something that we need to uh, keep looking for. Um, Chile, uh, with as the new constitution is being drafted and the many important debates such as the abortion debates are, are taking place so thank you for bringing that up yeah absolutely and and i think that exactly chile is going to experience a massive change after many years in the status quo there were f- the last four presidents of the country were michelle bachelet and sebastian pinera they kept alternating power and it's the first time in many years that we're going to have a, a really new figure at the helm so i do expect a lot of change and I do expect this to be a government that will 
be more inclusive and more open to reform and to progressive politics, which I think is always incredibly important. Uh, and with that, we can close the book on Chile, unless Jose Alfredo Jimenez has any comments on that. Yeah, I think you guys covered pretty much everything that, ha- that has to be said on this topic. So I think we should um, move on to the next topic in our discussion today. Absolutely. Awesome. So as we, as I said at the beginning of the show, the, the political map of Latin America will massively change because there are many important elections coming up this year. Uh, and the first of these, right, Raquel, is in, is in Costa Rica. So would you like to tell us about us a bit about this Costa Rican election that is coming up quite soon like that? Yeah, it's next month, actually. So the general elections are expected to be held on February 6th. Um, there are currently 25 presidential candidates. That's a lot. Um, and the current president, Carlos Alvarado, is, is not alone. Is not allowed to run for elections as re-elections are not allowed uh, under the Constitution. And pre-election polls favor uh, Jose Maria Figueres, Lynette Savorio, and Fabricio Alvarado. Fabricio Alvarado actually ran for presidency uh, against, and he lost against Carlos Alvarado. Um, so these are some of the of the names to look for. Um, because there are so many candidates, there's expected to be uh, a second round. And this one will be held in um, on April 3rd. So important election for, for Costa Rica. Uh, Carlos Alvarado is leaving the, the presidency, so um, the country is electing a new president. And with this, it could be a new term for, for different policies, for different uh, political and economic um, reforms. So it's definitely an important election in, in Costa Rica. So that's just to get us started on um, the elections that we have this year. And I think moving on in March, um, uh, Gabriel Boric, the new the newly elected president of chile will take will start his um political term on march 11th so that's definitely something that many chileans and and people elsewhere are looking for uh the beginning of his presidential term yeah absolutely and just a quick comment on costa rica costa rica differently from a lot of countries in in the central american region is a country that is a lot more stable and a lot more historically i mean historically stable and historically um uh, a progressive even it's it has incredible environmental policies and it's a country that is actually a, a world a global model on its environmental uh policies uh, it, re- it it had destroyed most of its natural fauna and flora and managed to restore practically all of it in a span of 20 years so that is practically unseen anywhere else in the world so that's incredible so any any leader who is going to continue leading costa rica has absolutely very big shoes to fill uh, but after that quick comment, we will move on to Colombia, uh, as we are going to have both legislative and presidential elections. Isn't that right, Raquel? Yes, and there's so much at stake in, in Colombia. And uh, Ivan Duque's presidential term is coming to an end. There's He's very popular right now. We need to remember the social protests that happened uh, in 2020. Um and part of like 2021 and uh it's going to be a very important election the presidential one uh, this one will be held on may uh, 29th and the second round is expected to be held on uh, june 19th so it's a key election not only for for colombia's political um 
uh, status, but also for what's going to happen in the region. Uh, there are some of the main candidates include the leftist politician Gustavo Petro. Petro served as the mayor uh, for the city of Bogota. Uh, he's also an ex-guerrilla member of the 19th of April movement, M19. Um, he was defeated uh, against Duque in the 2018 elections, and a lot of people expect him to win this time. Um, he's actually the leading in most uh, polls, and um, other names to consider are Sergio Fajardo and Juan Manuel Galán. So, so Petro is a very controversial figure in Colombia, not least because of his involvement with TM19. Um, he, he, there are many Colombians who are afraid of him because of his his guerrilla past, which I think is understandable. Uh, but at the same time, his his presidency, if he won, well, as you said, he's leading in most polls. If he were to win, a Petro presidency would fundamentally change Colombia. Because while a country like Chile, as we were talking about before, had a, a left before, albeit a center left, Blaschet was a very Blaschet was a very important president in Chile's history, and uh, Colombia has no equivalent to a left or center-left or even center government. Colombia is a fundamentally different country from every other nation in Latin America for not having at any point in its democratic history a shift to the left ever. So every single president has been center-right or right in some way, shape, or form. And that's due to a plethora of reasons. I think the biggest one is it's really close ties to the United States, which no other country in Latin America has such such close ties to the colossus of the North. Um, and as you said, Raquel, in 2018, he did lose, but it wasn't by much. So he lost uh, by two, a bit over 3 million votes. So that's absolutely winnable if, if you consider that he can hold on to that base. And if you can consider that Ivan Duque's government has been nothing short of a disaster with his approval ratings being incredibly low uh, after the uh, extreme police repression we had throughout uh, last year. Um, and and really, these center-right parties have been failing Colombia. Uh, the agreement Juan Manuel Santos attempted with the FARC has not worked quite as he expected, I believe. And I think it goes without saying that uh, his predecessor, Alvaro Uribe, is a criminal. Um, so this i think it is if there has ever been time for changing colombia that time is now and be it with pedro be it with someone else i think it's time for these old symbols of of colombia to to shift to a more um to different politics uh to different priorities and to different ideas and, and gilly since you were talking about gustavo petro i actually found something interesting on him um <clears throat> Besides being a, a mouthpiece for progressive politics in Colombia, and actually in 2014 when he was um, he was temporarily removed from office for improperly privatizing some garbage services. So there there has been some rocky chapters in his in his in his public service. But I think yeah, he will he will definitely be an interesting candidate to bring some new nuance and new change into into Colombia's politics. So I think a lot of these issues, when when a, a leftist administration nationalizes any any industry, be it uh, oil, be it garbage collection, I suppose in this case, they're always going to be the elites are never going to be happy about that. Um, I, I don't know anything about this case. I know that I can use a parallel in Brazil when uh, Lula nationalized. Um, I'm sorry, not in Brazil, in Bolivia, when Evo Morales nationalized 
uh, gas pipelines, Petrobras uh, actually gas pipelines in the country. Uh, he, he nationalized them and then paid the company all that their value. But to this day, there are Brazilians and Bolivians that say, especially Brazilians, who say that Brazil allowed Evo Morales to steal Petrobras's assets when that isn't true. So I think uh, I don't have enough knowledge to speak on this Petro case in specific, but just in general, uh, I caution our listeners to be careful when saying that um, when a, a government nationalizes an industry, if it wasn't necessarily stolen for free by, by the government. Yeah, I think overall the Colombian um, election, I think it's going to be a matter of um, with the past few years has been, has been, there has been a lot of uh, promises that have been said and uh, the people have really thought that, have thought that they were going to be uh, met by all the public services, the economic um, prosperity and so on, but uh there has been so much discontent coming from different sectors of Colombian society because of uh, the lack of action taken by uh, the different governments, especially uh, this uh, Ivan Duque's presidency has really lacked of, of action and it's something that's going to uh, shape the, the new elections that are coming um, to Colombia in uh, May. Absolutely. And uh, with that, any final comments on Colombia, Jose Alfredo? Um, I was actually trying to find some uh, <clears throat> some more information on the on the privatization of the garbage system because I thought it was something interesting. But um, I think it would have to be a topic for another podcast, perhaps, since it's uh, it's definitely not not. Um, People are not going to be able to grasp the whole concept if we just read the the like a quick summary of it. But yeah, I think we covered pretty much a lot of the topics on the on Colombia now. Great. So I think we can move on to the final uh, big country that's having an election this year, which is my own Brazil, who will be having its election on the October second, the first uh, round that is. Um, Brazil usually has two rounds in an election system and this is the first time that Jair Bolsonaro is going to be attempting his re-election and well his main contender on the field is former president Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva but there are also other many other candidates in the run uh, such as Sergio Moro the former judge who put Lula in prison uh, in a very convoluted and controversial pro uh, process uh, the mayor the current governor of the state of Sao Paulo João Doria and former ministry of national integration, Ciro Gomes, and and there are many important themes to consider for these elections, right, Raquel? So, so of course, COVID nineteen and and the economic crisis and how the general, how the gov how the people have been incredibly uh, uh, upset with how the government has addressed the pandemic. But that's not all. The Brazil's economy has been in a downward slope since twenty since the end of twenty nineteen. Um, Things have not been going all well for Minister Paulo Guedes's uh, neoliberal uh, policies, as everyone knew that was going to happen. I mean, everyone who knew knows how neoliberalism works in Brazil was sure that these policies weren't going to work, and they didn't. Inflation is at an all-time high uh, since the creation of the real, our current currency. The inflation hasn't been this high. Uh, the the minimum wage no longer accompanies real prices. And 
the Brazilian real has never been so devalued in relation to the US dollar. Uh, so uh, right now, Lula has a massive, massive lead. A current a, a poll took just two days ago shows that he has enough support to win in the first round, which would be historic. Only one president, only one president in Brazilian history won an election in the first round, and that was in 2002 with uh, President Fernando Henrique Cardoso. So Lula will be only the second president in history to um, not need a runoff to secure. Uh, Victory. Do you have any chance? You know what percentage do they need to win on the first round? So they need 50% of valid votes. So right now, Lula, the, the latest poll showed Lula had 42% of votes, but uh, those 42% is, is that's higher than the percentage of any other candidate. So that would mean that in valid votes, he'd have more than half. Um, oh, wow. So he has, so as I was about to say, only a disaster will make him lose. Uh, maybe he won't win in the first round, but only a disaster would make him not win in a hypothetical second round as he's leading every candidate uh, by a large more margin should there be a second round. Um, I would just like to read some, some figures real quickly. So if there was a second round between Lula and Bolsonaro, Lula would win with 54% of the vote against only 32% of Bolsonaro. That's a 22-point victory. If the election second round was against Sergio Moro, Lula would win with 49 against 26. That's an even wider 23-point difference. And if he was to uh, run against Ciro Gomes in the second round, he would win with, by, tw- by a 28-point margin. And if he was to face Juan Doria, that'd be the biggest margin of them all. Lula would win by a 32% margin. So as you can see, he's incredibly ahead. Only a disaster would uh, cost him the presidency. Uh, But what I think is very interesting to highlight at this point about about Lula's candidacy, which is actually not, he's not official yet. Lula has not officially declared he's going to run. But he is attempting to form a broad national front, a coalition, if you will, uh, to defeat Bolsonaro. So he is courting Geraldo Alckmin, who is a historic leader of Brazil's Social Democratic Party, which uh, was founded as the center-left party of Brazil. It has now moved unequivocally to the right, but Geraldo Alckmin is a traditional center-left, perhaps center now leader in Brazil, who actually ran for president against Lula in both in 2008 and ran for the presidency in 2018 as well. Uh, they are former rivals, but Lula is trying to get him uh, to be his vice president um, to form a national coalition and show that he is willing to make alliances with whoever he can in order to defeat Jair Bolsonaro. Um, so, oh, Gilly, is... I have one one question to you. Um, since I know you lived in, in Brazil uh, most of your life and you know what happened during the... the during Lula's years, do you think you know the current state of, of, of the current situation of Brazil and, and and everything that has been going on given the the, the, the terrible administration of of Mr. Bolsonaro, do you think this is a big enough of a a, a big enough of a, a reason for people to, to vote back for Lula, even though all the, the um, the corruption scandals during his 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 terms and stuff like what do you think why do you think people people think about this so i think that there there are several criticisms that can be made for lula my i have several criticisms i can make to lula my biggest one is his failure to 
uh, prepare a new generation of leftist leaders in Brazil to take up the mantle. He then prepare a a a left for the 21st century, stealing from Hugo Chavez's uh, quotes. He didn't prepare a, a young leader like Boric, for example, to take over the mantle and to, you know, um, fight for progressive policies of the, of the 21st century. Lula, of course, is very important, but he's still stuck in in, in, uh, in the 80s, in the 90s, in the early 2000s even. I don't think he's very well equipped to, to deal with such important themes such as abortion, such as LGBTQ plus rights uh, and, and many other important issues of our day. So that's a very big criticism I have for, for the old president. But regarding your question more specifically, Alfred, I think that it is absolutely enough of a reason. Lula's administration was the best administration in Brazilian democratic history. He left office with almost 80% approval. People love Lula and that it shows in the polls. People want him back because they also remember that back in his day, they could go to uh, the poor, could go to university. The poor could travel by airplane. Um, there was always food on the table. Inflation was low. The real was worth a lot. So there was a lot of affectionate memory to those years as well. Um, but I think that that's also a problem because it's not the same as 2002 anymore. It's not the same as 2010 anymore. When Lula's elected, he's going to be faced with massive challenges that weren't there when he was first elected. He surfed on the commodity boom and managed to get it to... to give opportunities to people that didn't have opportunities before. And I don't know if he's going to be able to again. Uh, the, the political landscape and the economic landscape are very different. And I think that, uh, well, while he does have enough support to win, I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed because it's just not going to be the same. We are no longer in the early 2000s. I, I have a well, question. So, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go My question is going to change. <clears throat> no, no, I'm just going to say that. You I think that's really interesting. I was just going to say it's really interesting how how you made a comparison and you said that, yeah, times have definitely changed and, and maybe, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if he does get elected, if he's up to the up to the challenge of, 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 of dealing with all the issues existing in in 2022. Um, yeah, I'm sorry for, uh, for interrupting, Raquel. Go ahead. Good. I was going to ask, so for people that are interested in following uh, the elections and especially the um, the months before the election with uh, the campaigns and, and so on. If you have any recommendations of sites that people can refer to in order to like take a look at what's happening in Brazil, um, I think definitely it's going to be about the, the internal politics that are going to definitely shape the, the aftermath of the election. So for people that are not too familiar with um, core uh, Brazilian uh, policies, how can they get to know more about what's happening in terms of the election. So if you have any any uh, recommendations in, term, in terms of sources that people can uh, look for, that would be great. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a bit difficult because most of, actually all of the ones I can think of are in Portuguese. But if you speak Spanish, you, you can definitely understand. Um, so there's this great Instagram page of the a newspaper called Poder, as, as it sounds, P-O-D-E-R. 360, which is 360, like just the numbers, which is a newspaper in Brazil, a very respected newspaper who uh, publishes polls quite often, I'd say at least twice a month. And they are a nice uh, visually appealing infographics. So even if you uh, don't understand Portuguese, you'll be able to follow the numbers, which I think is interesting. But they also post, obviously, news. So you'll be able to follow um, 
what exactly yeah, is Gilly, going on. Yeah, speaking on, on, on that source, El Poder 360, El Poder 360, um, I've actually, I've actually uh, read a couple articles on that website, but you said that if you speak Spanish, you would be able to understand and Yeah, I could, I could say that from experience. I obviously speak Spanish as my first language, my mother tongue. And yeah, I, I even I've even heard some of their, their do they have podcasts, do they? Yeah, they do. They do have podcasts. Um they're yeah, not I've, the ones I've, that I've exist even... aren't super focused on politics, on current politics, but they do have podcasts as well. So if you want to practice your Portuguese, you can take a look at those. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you for that. And I have one last question about the topic of Brazil. So we we saw that in, in Chile, um, the youth had so much power in uh influencing the outcome of the election um i was wondering if you see the same thing in brazil like what's the what are the youth youth movements saying um what kind of uh activist work is being done uh what kind of uh general work is being done about the the elections coming from the youth and what are they saying about the election so I think the youth in Brazil is more akin to the youth in Argentina than the one in Chile. So we aren't differently from Chile, Argentina, and Brazil in the last two elections. weren't faced with a a young candidate that really could win. So uh, what what ends up happening is the old guard. So the old guard of the Partido Justicialista in Argentina, Roberto Fernandez, and the, obviously the old guard of the Workers' Party in Brazil, Lula, um, is trying to make that bridge with the younger generations I, I think that it works most of the time so uh the youth isn't super excited but the youth at least people i talk to and most youth movements like proper political politicized youth movements are extremely fired uh fired up I, I suppose to to remove bolsonaro so they are i'm sure they're going to show up in mass to vote against the president especially because brazil's uh democracy is is not optional so in brazil if you don't show up to vote you have to pay a fine so that helps <laughs> yeah so again so it's not that the youth is mobilized behind lula and very fighting for him because they're super identified with his politics necessarily it's more to fire bolsonaro and uh because there's really no other option in the playing field um, that they really could identify with a lot like what happened in argentina in 2019 Thank you for that. I think with with all these comments about Brazil election, uh, I think my I had a question for 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 you both. So, um, is a new left wave emerging in Latin America? And just before you answer, there are, I guess, three cases that we can point out. Uh, first, we have uh, Pedro Castillo was elected president in Peru, Luis Arce in Bolivia, and now we have Gabriel Boric in in Chile. So. Do you think a, a new left wave is, is emerging um, in Latin America? Um, so I think. Go ahead, Alfredo. Uh, I, I think I think um, maybe to some extent, yes. I believe that we, we've discussed some, we've touched on this topic before, and to some extent, yes. I think you could say uh, there is some tendency, some leftwards leaning tendency happening in Latin America for sure, but. Um, what if some of this is just the the voters are electing the left simply because it's the opposition at the moment because uh the current governance um the, the current government is just not delivering on on what they offered and what the people need but i think um 
you could also make some counter arguments to this. So, for example, um, I, although this trend has shown some, 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 like some countries, as you said, um, are, are are having a new left wave. You could see the the cases in, in El Salvador, El Salvador, Uruguay, and Ecuador have not moved their governments to the left, and they have moved the governments towards the right uh, a little more. So. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely some some evidence of this, but I don't think it's 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 to such a greater extent that we could we could call it a new left wave that's going to emerge, right? Or what, what do you guys think? I think that it's definitely not going to be a pink tie sort of situation, but I I, I do think there is a, a left political at, at the very least the political pendulum in the continent is shifting completely, not completely, but pretty resoundingly to the left i'd say it's the, the data is there all of the big most economically powerful countries are are shifting to the left and should uh hypothetically should petro and lula be elected in december by by i mean by january 2023 uh all almost all the big countries in the continent are going to be governed by the left so again in this hypothetical hypothetical scenario colombia peru chile argentina Uruguay, uh, sorry, not Uruguay, Argentina, Brazil, and Bolivia would be governed by the left with only uh, Uruguay and Paraguay and Ecuador in South America not being. So the data is there. But the counter argument I'd give is is to build in what Alfredo was saying, is that Alberto Fernandez is probably going to lose <laughs> in 2023. So he's had a very... Um, also, a very, a not very good administration, I'd say. Fernandez has failed in a plethora of areas throughout his his, his tenure as president of Argentina, and he's gonna be, it's gonna be a difficult re-election season for him. So, if I, I'm not sure he will be able to hang on to his job in Argentina, it's also quite uncommon for for presidents to be re-elected in the first place. The only president re-elected, the only two presidents re-elected actually were um, Carlos Menem and. Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, aside from these two, no other president in modern Argentine democracy have been re-elected. So I think that says loads. And also in Uruguay, Luis Lacachepo, the current president, is quite popular. And although he won by a by, by a needle in 2019, he only won by about 20,000 votes. It was ridiculously close. He is quite popular at the moment. He has led the country quite well during the pandemic, and I think he has a pretty good chance of extending his, his administration. Uh, Uruguay has also been governed by the broad front for so many years, and having a, a center-right administration of the National Party is definitely healthy for, for the country's democracy. So I guess to conclude all of this that I've just said is that uh, while, yes, I think that the, the political pendulum is shifting to the left, and I do think that a lot of the countries by the end of the year will be governed by leftist administrations. Of course, there are going to be outliers. Even during the pink tide, there were outliers. Um, and and yeah, I think that it won't be like the pink tide, but it, it, again, the data is definitely there. What do you think, Rico? I, I agree with you. I don't think this is going to be similar as pink tide i think the momentum that was created with the pink tide is not here and i think in a couple of episodes uh we have mentioned in, in previous episodes that there's not gonna be a new pink tide um like the one that we have uh but i do think it's important to highlight that it might be the case that by the end of the year um 
Brazil and, and Colombia, especially, they're going to be leftist. And it's not just about what this um, ideology or this represents uh, in Latin America, but also internally. So I'm just really looking forward to the Colombian elections because, as, as we've mentioned before, um, this could be the first time that a leftist government is in charge of the country. And this is definitely going to bring a lot of reforms that are going to deeply affect uh, people in, in Colombia, uh, across Colombia, and also um, impact Latin America as, as, as a region. So I think with that, we just these three elections that are going to take place are definitely going to um, influence the political map in, in Latin America. Um, Definitely, it's important to follow them, uh, to follow the candidates and see uh, what are they they doing to uh, as part of their campaigns. I think that's definitely something that uh, Boric really uh, worked for, and I think worked in his favor that he, like the the, the type of, of campaign that he that he ran. So definitely looking at what the, these candidates are doing, their policies, and also being critical of what they're they're saying because they are all coming with a political baggage that. Um, for for good or for bad, it's definitely going to have an influence in the country somehow. So um, I think, uh, yeah, I'm just going to end with that comment. Yeah, for sure. Um, that was brilliant, and I agree with most of it. Um, but our episode is already getting pretty long. So um, any final final comments from either of you to wrap up before we finish the first episode of 2022? Wow, I think we covered a lot, a lot, a lot of, of interesting topics. And I think, yeah, maybe maybe I have a couple ideas, but I think perhaps it would be interesting to discuss them on another podcast, perhaps. And yeah, I don't have anything else to, to comment from my end. But yeah, I've had such a blast seeing you guys again. Definitely, it was. I, I miss both of you, Raquel and Gilly, over the, the long winter break. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys back again in Toronto. Yes, hopefully, we can get to meet in person with the new COVID restrictions. But yeah, um, and I think it's also important to comment that to our audience that if they want to join us, if they have a specific topic they would like to talk uh, with us please just send us a DM on social media. We're definitely open to have you in our uh, conversations and really looking forward to, to this new semester, uh, new topics, new um, perspectives, and hopefully that you're going to enjoy all the content that we have prepared for you. Absolutely. So with that, we can end this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Please follow us on social media if you haven't already done so and see you in two weeks. Ciao.